Amen, amen. Thank you, team. Fight a nickel for every time I started a song. <laughs> In the wrong tempo, the wrong key, something like that. But I think our mistakes are what help us to grow as well. Amount of times, amount of times. You guys did a great job. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 130. Uh, it's, it's not a very long psalm, but an intense one. And it's, uh, I'd say, one that we don't like to look at kind of in our, our culture today. So uh, throughout, throughout the summer, we've been going through uh, the book of Psalms and looking at uh, the words, the poems, the, the songs of praise and laments that God's people have sang and cried out to him uh, for hundreds of years. And in, in recent generations, our ancestors as Christians have carried on these, uh, these beautiful psalms in in praying them, in reading them together, in um, sharing life together through the Psalms, because they give us a glimpse and a kind of a, a catch into the life of, of people as they live out uh, the life God's calling them to. And some of the Psalms that we look at are Psalms of praise, where uh, people recount what God has done in their lives and, and thank Him for it. Uh, there's others that are about the victories that God has done in their lives or in history, uh, kind of recounting the past and, and praising him for that. Uh, some are lament psalms uh, where, where people pour out their hearts to God and, and bring to him the real troubles and pains that they're experiencing. And some, like the one that we're going to look at today, are penitent psalms, which uh, turn our eyes towards our own sin, towards our own failures, and thus towards uh, God's forgiveness within that as well. Now, don't worry, when I say it's a penitent psalm, we're going to be looking at this today. It's not going to be like a Helen Brimstone sermon, don't worry about that. Uh, but if you do have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 130. Uh, we're going to be reading this, and actually afterwards we're going to be reading this together as a congregation as well. Uh, but for now, we'll turn to Psalm 130 and we'll read this together. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's a beautiful psalm. Um, our world today cares a lot about appearance. If you haven't noticed, we, we care a lot about what people think of us, whether that's our family, friends, or even people that we don't even know online who comment on our Facebook posts. Uh, but we, we care about the way we come across to others and what people think of us. I mean, we live in a world where there's such thing as Instagram filters, uh, photo editing, covering up the way that we look physically. I mean, artists nowadays use auto-tune in, in, in order to cover up the imperfections in their voice. Uh, we use makeup to cover like the blemishes on our skin, and we use small lies to cover up the blemishes of our soul. We are a generation that's good at hiding. And I'm not just talking about the millennials where you know we hide in our basements all the time playing on our computers. Uh, it, all of us try to hide. I mean, ask anyone about a fishing story, and they're probably sure to hide some details about the size of their catch. Um, but more, more simply than hiding the details of, of stories and the things that are going on in our lives, our human desire is to hide our imperfections, 
Our human desire is to want to hide the things that we think other people are going to judge us for, or the things that we even know within us is wrong, too. And so we, we try to hide, and this isn't new. This is something we've been doing from the beginning of the world. If you go back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, uh, after they had disobeyed God's command not to take of the fruit, uh, they, they ended up hiding from God, which I always loved that image. I thought it was always a funny picture. They're trying to hide from God who knows everything, sees everything, created everything. Um, I, always, I always got the picture of, uh, of a kid when you're playing hide-and-go-seek with your own child, and they run behind the curtain, and then you can see their feet sticking out, and you can see the shadow that they're casting on the, the curtain there. It's like, where are they? I don't know. Uh, I kind of get the same picture with God calling out to us when we try to hide. Where are you? Well, you're right there. Uh, but Adam and Eve, they, they made fig leaves to hide their nakedness, and they, they hid from God in the trees to hide their shame and the fear that they felt. And this is what we do. Nothing's really changed since the beginning of the world. There's nothing new under the sun. We, we try to hide it. We try to cover up our mistakes. We try to put the front that we can on or the mask that we can wear and, and try and deceive others from the things that are going on in our hearts. And... and I think there's two reasons we do this, because we recognize this brokenness within us and we can't change it. We can't do anything about it. We're stuck in our sin. We're stuck in our brokenness. That and we can't actually change. There's, there's this burden to change, but being stuck with where we're at, we can't do it. And so Adam and Eve hid in the trees. They hid behind their leaves because they didn't know what else to do to get rid of the shame and the fear that they felt. They thought they could at least hide it. And so we do the same. We conceal it from God. We try to hide our mistakes. And without Jesus, we'd be stuck there, right? Crushed under the weight of our mistakes and kept in fear of our inability to change. But Jesus has taken on himself the pain that brings our peace, the punishment that brought us salvation and has shown us that anyone who is in him is a new creation. There is the freedom to change. There is hope from the places that we're stuck in. There's, there's forgiveness from the burdens that we carry. There is hope and renewal. And even though there's this great promise of hope, forgiveness, grace, and love for us, we still choose to hide. We still choose to run behind the things that we can put in front of us to mask. So, um, as I was just preparing for the sermon today, I was, I was thinking about Psalm 130, praying through it, and I think that one of, the, one of the things I want to encourage you with today, uh, and uh, hopefully give you the opportunity to do as well, is to, to come out from your place of hiding. I want to encourage you today to, to accept His grace and mercy and love, not to hide behind the things that you think make you worse off in life, that make you a worse person, whatever those might be. It's not easy. It's difficult to let go of our old lives. It's uncomfortable, and all of us dislike change to some degree. But it's the only life worth living. It might feel like sandpaper like Dustin has talked about, but it's worthwhile. It's polishing. It's making us into the masterpiece he's created us to be. Uh, now, as I said earlier, Psalm 130 is a penitent psalm. It's usually one that was sung by whole congregations, kind of like us today, uh, where we'd be reading this out loud together in order to confess our sins as a group, as a people, and we would repent together. Uh, now, this song opens with, uh, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Right off the start, the, the artist of this psalm brings out what's most important, what's most heavy on his heart. 
He's separated from God, and he's stuck in a place where he can't actually reach out to God. He's saying, out of the depths, I'm crying out to you. Hopefully you hear me. Hopefully you, you can reach down into the place I'm at. Now, um, just for a little bit of clarification, the author is talking about the depths here. Uh, it's less like the picture of a pit that you just fall into and more like uh, the middle of the ocean when it's a raging sea and there's these waves and breakers coming up over top of you. Uh, the Hebrew word is amok, which is translated depths. I'm not like a Hebrew scholar or anything. I just found some really cool uh, translation and texts. But uh, it's translated depths, and the word there is used with reference to the raging sea. So in Psalm 69, it uses the word, I've come into the w- deep waters. Uh, in Ezekiel 27, Isaiah 51, it says that uh, the reference to the depths of the sea. And the reason I'm pointing this out, it's not just like, oh, he knows Hebrew. I, not very much. Um, not enough to be helpful with it. But the reason I'm pointing it out is because there's some helpful imagery there. Because when, when, the, when the author is talking about this pit that he's crying out of, these depths that he's in, it's not, again, this pit. It's more like this imagery of, like I said, being in the ocean. And for, for ancient uh, readers of the texts of the Torah, of the Bible, and ancient Jews, they understood that the, the ocean was a place of chaos, of alienation and of, of darkness, really. The, the waters, the ocean, the sea was wild, it was untamed, it was, it was a place where a storm could come up quickly and end your life, uh, let alone the known and the unknown creatures that roam in the midst of the sea and that dwell in their depths. So for, for biblical readers uh, or understanding of who God was, they, they saw this analogy between the ocean and the sea being this chaotic place, something where God is not. It's the opposite of God. It's chaos, it's fear, it's disorder, it's darkness. And many stories in the Bible actually follow along with this pattern. So, I mean, when God parted the sea for the Israelites to pass through, uh, he was creating a way for them in the midst of chaos and darkness. Uh, Jonah, after he sinned in turning away from God, was thrown into the sea where he thought he was going to die. Jesus, which again, this makes the imagery almost more beautiful, he walked on the waters and calmed the raging sea. Can you see the analogies there, the beauty that, that's drawn out when we understand that God can even, that Jesus can walk on the chaos, that he can walk over top of the darkness and calm the raging seas. Baptism, it's a symbol of death where we go into the waters and die and are reborn as we come out. Uh, Revelation, it mentions where in chapter 21, in the creation of the new heavens and new earth, there's no longer an ocean, which... Don't worry, it's not like for the people who love the ocean. Uh, there's probably going to be some type of sea, I'm not sure. Uh, but it, it's, it's representing this lack of chaos, this lack of disorder anymore, this lack of darkness when Jesus returns. And the author of the Psalms, this Psalm in particular, he's, he's crying out from that place of chaos and darkness. Now, he's calling out to God from the depths. He's calling out from the place of chaos. He, he's calling out from the place where he can't see hope, where he's alienated, where, where he's feeling like he's drowning because of his own mistakes. Because of his own mistakes. You see, the author isn't some perfect person trying to cry out to God saying, I've been righteous, why are you being unfair to me? He's claiming he's made mistakes. Verse 3, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. Now, the author is stuck in his problem of sin, whatever it might be. It's very vague, and that's why this is usually read as a congregation, uh, just because it's one where we can all participate. 
and recognize what, what sin might be in our own lives. But he's stuck. He's in chaos. He's in alienation. He's in loneliness. And where are you at today? Are you in those same places? If you're, if you're maybe on the opposite, if you're in a high place, if you're going through life and it's going well, maybe you're doing well and recognizing that God's working through you. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're in the depths. Maybe you're feeling like you cry out to God and he's not there, like he's against you. Do you feel like you're in a place of alienation and chaos? Do you, do you recognize areas of your own life that need to change, but you've given up because it seems hopeless? You've tried? Or maybe you're scared to change because it's uncomfortable, because it means giving up the thing you don't want to. Or maybe, like I said, you just feel distant from God, like you call out to him and he's not there. Um, if so, you're not alone. That's probably one of the most encouraging things. Um, we've all made mistakes, right? None of us are the perfect person. I'm not coming up here and preaching to you all saying, I've done pretty well for myself. You should do the same. Not at all. I've made so many mistakes that I can't count them anymore. But whether you're unsure or not, God can actually make a difference in your life. It doesn't matter if you're 100% certain God can make a difference in your life. That's okay. We all at times doubt what Jesus can do in our own lives. Almost every person in the Bible who interacted with God doubted God, which I found kind of astounding. Moses doubted God's ability to work through him when God called him through the burning bush to go and save the Israelites out of their enslavement in Egypt. And he came up with the excuse, but God, I can't speak well. Uh, God promised Abraham offspring beyond measure, and when, when Abraham heard this, he just laughed at God because he didn't think it was possible. He doubted that he actually had any real ability to make life grow in him. Thomas, one of the 12 apostles, uh, which unfortunately he's given the name Doubting Thomas, uh, but he doubted Jesus' resurrection, and he wouldn't believe until he put his hands in Jesus' wounds. So if you doubt, if you're, if you're not sure that God can work in your life today, that's okay. God's bigger than our doubts. We don't need to be 100% certain. We just need to be able to be taking steps of faith. I think the best way I heard it said was, we don't need to be 100% certain. We don't even need to be 75% certain. We need to be 51% certain. Just enough to be willing to take a step of faith, being, I'm not sure if this is going to work or not, but I feel God's calling me here to take that step, to call out to him when we're stuck in a rut, when we're in the midst of the ocean and the waves are coming over our heads, to ask him for help and to acknowledge to God the things that we need to repent of. Now, in a society like we've talked about where we'd rather hide our brokenness and sin, it's hard to confess, even to God, but the promise of life and renewal is so much greater than the pain of change. So, if you feel like you're in the depths today, it's okay, you're not alone, like you're, like you're maybe separated from God and he can't hear you because maybe you think your own mistakes separate you from him. Maybe you think that he's just given up on you, like he's not willing to hear you. Those are lies. We have a savior who's extended a hand down to us in the pit of our mess, in the distress that we're facing when the waves are coming over our heads. When we're drowning, Jesus isn't looking down on us and saying, yeah, they deserved it. He's always standing right above us, willing to help out. He's always reaching down to us. What does it look like to reach back up? What does it mean for us to respond to God? Because we have a choice to make as well, right? Jesus, when he first began his mission, uh, his ministry on earth, he would say, repent and believe. 
That's it. Repent and believe. Change. Acknowledge to God what you've done wrong. Acknowledge the areas of your life that you've tried to hide and bring that to him. Don't try to hide it anymore. Tell him what's on your heart. And change from that way. Not because you can now that you've found some random strength, but because you can through Jesus and what he's done for us in paying the price for our sins. In verse 5 and 6, it, it, it takes the, uh, the, the route of waiting. I'll explain that in a second here. Verse 5 and 6 say, I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Um, waiting in our instant message, fast food, minute rice world is one of those things we don't really have time for, um, or one of those things at least where we don't like to do, because it means we're either wasting time that we could be using to get ahead in life, to finish up chores, maybe to relax, to do whatever, or it means we're, we're left with the ability for our thoughts to get to us when we're waiting. The moments where not much is happening Sometimes our thoughts can creep into our minds that we don't like. We try busying ourselves so those thoughts get pushed down. But bigger problems happen when we choose to not wait. Um, Abraham, we just talked about him, uh, when, when God had promised him an heir, an offspring, and, and uh, offspring beyond measure, he ended up taking his own route through, through trying to find and fulfill this promise to him. So he went to uh, his wife's servant, Hagar, and he slept with her instead of waiting for God to fulfill his promise through him. And out of this, uh, in the book of Genesis, it says that those who were of the line of Ishmael, who was uh, his son with Hagar, uh, it said that they lived in hostility towards all the tribes related to them. Right? Out, of, out of one person's uh, inability to wait came so many problems from this, came, came disorder, came fighting uh, within family, Right? And actually, today, this is where we get most of the Muslim population. Um, a lot of them find their history in the descendants of Ishmael from Abraham, uh, and, and this is where they find their descendant and their history in this as well. So a lot can come out of just one person's inability to wait. Uh, Saul, the first king of Israel who started off as a prophet, a good man, uh, he, he was told by Samuel, a prophet, to wait until Samuel... Uh, came to him to offer a sacrifice up to the Lord. Uh, but after seven days, he was waiting too long. He figured, man, Samuel's not coming. My army's leaving me. I got to do something. Uh, and so he offered the sacrifice himself instead of waiting for Samuel. And as soon as he finished offering the sacrifice, as it always happens, uh, Samuel showed up. And, and this decision, this thing he did in haste, cost him the kingdom of Israel, and it cost him his own sanity. He was driven mad because the kingdom was then given to another. But we don't like waiting. We like to be in control. We, we like to be the ones who are masters of our own time, which is, I think, part of the reason why God encourages us and models for us Sabbath, a day of rest. We don't accomplish. We don't get ahead. We don't work. Because taking a whole day of rest and, and getting, spending that time to get to know our Creator more uh, is almost ridiculous to our consumerist mindsets, right? Like taking a whole day off to not work, uh, for the workaholic, they think, well, I'm going to have less money to do less things that I want with my own life. For, for those who want more, it's, well, I'm going to have less if I take this whole day off and I'm unable to gain more money, accomplish more things, tasks. 
We get behind when we Sabbath. We, we, we don't accomplish as many chores or earn as much money, which again, I think is the point of Sabbath. I think that's why God modeled it for us, to understand in ourselves what's truly important, not to, not to do these things that get us ahead in life, that can give us some comforts, that can earn us a bit of extra cash, maybe that feels fun even. It's so that we can better understand our real need for Jesus. Because we can't do this on our own. We need his help. We need him to change us. Now, it takes reaching out to him. It takes bringing our sin, our, our wholehearted repentance to him, and our belief in him as well. God asks us only to rely on him. Instead of choosing to go our own way and getting what we want on our own terms. So what are you waiting on from God? Is it, is it the health of a friend? The health of a family member? Yourself? Is it the restoration of a lost child? Is it direction for your next steps because you don't know where God's leading you and you're in need? Now, it doesn't matter what you're waiting on God for. Whether it's something big, something small, whether it's life or death, whether it's comforts or... or dependence. He's dependable. He loves to satisfy our desires when we take delight in him. That's who he is. Don't give up hope. Keep waiting on God. He only asks us to trust in him as we wait. Now, God might not come through at the moment that we expect. He might not come through at the time that we were hoping either. It might seem like he comes through at a later time than we actually needed it. But if he's created everything, if he knows everything, then surely we can trust that he knows what's best for us as well, right? If, if, as Psalm 139 says, he knit us together and he created us in our own mother's womb, then he knows each one of us. He knows what's best for us, even when we don't. It, it, uh, it reminds me, a few weeks ago, I was on vacation uh, with Joelle, my wife, and my family, and uh, it was during the heat wave, so it was super hot. We had to go down to the lake and the beach almost every day just to stay alive. And it was rough. It was rough. I know. I know. It was my version of Sabbath. It was good. Uh, but while we were going through this heat wave, uh, we were down at the beach, and my sister and her husband have three wonderful kids. Uh, Hudson is the youngest. He's five months old. Super cute. Little chubby baby. Uh, but he, he was getting pretty hot while we were sitting there on the beach, and uh, his parents noticed he was overheating, so they're like, well, we don't want him to get heat stroke. Uh, so they have this little ring about this big, and it's only about like three or four inches tall, and you set him in it, put some water in there, and cool him down. Uh, but as soon as, uh, as soon as the water was poured into uh, uh, the ring that he was sitting in, uh, in protest, he just immediately started screaming. Um, eventually, he got used to the water and stopped crying, but that took a little while, now, even though the water was good for him, even though it was, it was purposed there to help him in, in a way that was saving him, really, otherwise he'd have gotten heat stroke. He could have been sick very seriously. Even though it was good for him, he still cried out in protest, right? And we do the same. When, when God disciplines us, when he puts us through through times where we're not sure that he's even with us, or times where we're not sure how we're going to make it through, we usually cry out in protest. We usually, we usually ask God to just simply take away our pain. But God knows exactly what we need, right? If, if, if we can actually trust him to know and have our backs to, to 
give our lives to him. Surely he knows what's best for us. Surely we can trust him. 1 Corinthians says that right now we only see the world as, as a mirror dimly lit. It's almost like you're going into the keg or something. The washroom's there where the lights are a little bit lower down. Can't actually see anything stuck in your teeth. But we, we don't see the whole reality just like that. We, we can't see. Um, it, it's, like a, it's like a window with, with you know, thick dirt layered on it. You can kind of see the sunrise happening outside. You can see its beauty, but you only catch glimpses of it. It's not the whole reality. Now, we don't know everything. We don't know the true beauty of this world. We don't know the whole picture. Only God does. We just see through a, a, at, a, at a mirror dimly lit. So when we trust and wait for God, we can be assured it's for good. That's why we need to hold on to the promises of the Bible. Because he loves us. He knows what's best for us. Even when it's painful, even when you're in the midst of chaos and alienation, when you're lonely and it feels like no one's there, God is. We can trust that he's working good as well. The last, last two verses of the psalm encourage us to do just that. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. With the Lord is unfailing love and full redemption. Do, do we understand that? What that means? Next time you're tempted to hide, next time you, you make a mistake and you want to start beating yourself up about it, next time you want to try and mask up a part of your life that you don't like, remember these words. With the Lord is unfailing love and full redemption. We all make mistakes, and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to scourge us when we come to him. He enjoys it when we bring our, our suffering, our pains, and our sins to him. The work begins with God, but we have the choice to reach back out. We have the obligation to reach back out if we want to find life. We make the choice to wait on him, to confess our sin, and God does the rest. We only need to repent and find rest in him. Uh, God's in the work of transformation, softening hearts, changing lives, that's who he is. Now, we've all walked away from God, and because our society isn't one that likes to usually reflect on our own mistakes and our own sins and failures, uh, we're going to do a little bit of practice here this morning. Now, don't worry for those of you whose hearts just like dropped a beat. We're not going like, to turn to your neighbor and confess your sin. Um, we are going to, though, take a couple moments and uh, just a couple moments of silence. And what I want you to ponder on or to reflect on, maybe let the Spirit lead you in this, but I... I I just encourage you to recognize the areas of life that you try to hide. Bring that to God. So we're going to have a couple minutes of silence. Uh, I'm going to encourage you just to silently pray, silently bring those things to mind as we, uh, as we reflect and repent on the things that we've, and ways we've turned away from God. And then afterwards, we're going to come together and we're going to read Psalm 130 together in the NIV. If you want to pull out your Bibles after, it'll be on the screen too. Uh, so I'll start with just a couple minutes of us in silence.
sometimes that that staring into our own soul is like looking into a black hole. It's like looking into something where there's no hope or there's just darkness sometimes. But the good news is, again, that Jesus has come to transform. He's come to change, give us hope and life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so as we, as we read this psalm together and as we reflect and repent together, um, I just encourage you to, to recognize what the Spirit's saying to you. Uh, where he's leading you. And after, after the service, if you want to find someone to share your sins with as well, uh, it says that we find healing in the book of James as we confess to each other. Uh, so I'd encourage you to, to make space for that. But uh, why don't we stand together as we read the psalm? Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. You can remain standing as we pray, and I'll call the worship team up. Father, you are good. Jesus, we thank you that we can trust you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in us to help us recognize the places of our lives that we do on our own, that we mask, that we hide. Father, I, I ask that today in each one of us there would be a, a strengthened piece of trust in you, that you are good, and that the, the lies that we've believed about you would fall away. Allow us to find freedom in you, God. Allow us to be transformed in you and renewed. But we ask for your help in this. We can't do it on our own. Allow our hearts to, to recognize where blame is due, but not to be condemned. Father, we ask for your lightness of forgiveness and help us to recognize where you were leading us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.